Okay, let's turn to the scriptures. I want to take you through a study tonight. And with a few, just a few verses to open with. And just a few bullet points down. And what I want you to see tonight is the image of Christ on the earth. The image of Christ on the earth. Hebrews chapter 1, please. And verse 3. Just going to lift out a few verses. In fact, let's just read the first three verses. It'll be easier. God, who at sundry times in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Take note of verse 3, who being the brightness of his, that is the Father's glory, and the express image of his, the Father's person, the express image. Uh, flick over, please, as well, or backwards uh, to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, please. Chapter f- 4. Second Corinthians 4. And let's just read from verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, let us to, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Take note again in verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And then flick over to the book of Colossians then, please. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Chapter 1, first of all. And just a couple of verses. Let's go to verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. In other words, he's not a created creature. He is the bringer forth of all creation. Okay? So here we have him again, the image of the invisible God. Now go with me 
uh, to chapter 3, Galatians. Did I say Galatians? Colossians chapter 3, please. And just uh, let your eye run down to verse 10. Paul says, And having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. That's you and I, putting on the new man, the new image of Christ. So we're looking at the image of Christ in the earth, and we're looking at the image of Christ, who is the image of God in the earth. We're going to look at pictures, as it were, off this right up to the present day, God helping us. Let us pray. Father, take your word and inscribe it in our hearts and imprint it upon every mind. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified. Lord, we think of those who can't be with us tonight. Maybe we are away on holidays, that you'd bless them and strengthen them. Father, we think especially tonight of Pamela with her mom and dad, and we think of uh, uh, Kevin with his mother, and we think of Aaron unwell tonight. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, for others, that you would just bless them and encourage them and strengthen them, Father, for they would love to be here. But Lord, we ask you just to be with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God made man in his own image. God made man in his own image. He made Adam in his own image. And whenever we look at that, then we know the story of the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And Adam, uh, his, his phusus, as it's called in Ephesians chapter 2, his nature became our nature. His sin became our sin. And so we're fallen. And until a man and woman sees themselves as who they are, they can never be saved. In other words, if you and I don't see ourselves as hell-bound, hell-deserving sinners in need of a Savior with a complete disability in ourselves, the inability to save ourselves or to even reach heaven, until we get to that point, and need of a Savior, recognizing that Christ is the only Savior and that he paid our price. We can never be saved. Just uh, recently, I, I was sent a clip to watch of a, a certain large ministry who are just really saying, you know, just be who you are, and God is happy with just who you are, never mind repentance or whoever you are. And this is to you unsaved. God is happy who you are. Why not just go to church? And this is a massive ministry who are more or less uh, preaching this sort of a message. And the thing is that unless a man or a woman, as Spurgeon says, are brought down to the very dust of the ground, then they can never be built up to be seated in heavenly places in Christ. And it's only whenever we realize that of ourselves we can do nothing and we are nothing and Christ is our everything, it's only then when we call on him and put our faith in him our full trust in him, are we then conformed to be like him? Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, please. Just to lift the first or two out. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 should do us. In fact, let's go to verse 28, please, as well. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
Now remember, I've taught just before that word there, according. The word according is the word kata. According and kata means, gives the idea of a pressure, a pressing down, a dominance. So let's read it like this. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called with the dominance of his purpose. The dominance of God in your life brings you to the purpose which God has for your life. And you and I can stray, and you and I can fail, and you and I can falter and fall and run away, but it's the kata, the according to his purpose, and words, his purpose brings us to the place that he has destined for us. All of our salvation is all of him. Everything. Now look at the next verse, keeping that in mind. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed, notice the word, to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice what it says here then, according or with the dominance of God's purpose, your salvation, I have to tell you, I don't want to disappoint you, was nothing to do with you. In fact, your salvation wasn't even in your plan and purpose. It was in his plan and it was in his purpose from before the foundation of the world. And it's the dominance of the irresistible grace of God that came into our lives through the preaching of his word or the witness of a testimony that started to draw our attention. And that dominance of God drew you with cords of love, showed you Christ dying in your place. And then, of course, you were saved when you yielded to the Spirit's wooing. Notice this. You're conformed to the image of of Christ, the image of his son, capital S. We're all sons and daughters of God when we're brought into the family of God. But here we, we look at the one here with a capital S as the only one unique son of God, the Lord Jesus himself, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, God wants to make us like him. In other words, you and I are to become the image of Christ on the earth to a dying world. We want to look at how this develops, not only in the world, but even through prophecy and symbolism. And God willing, the Lord help me, we'll we'll understand more by the time we're through and we're finished. So, let's go into the Old Testament, shall we? Uh, Go with me to the book of Genesis, please. The book of Genesis and chapter 28. Chapter 28. Verse 10 says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Haran. He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. 
Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. In the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it unto thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. And I will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Notice the Lord says, I'll do it when I have completed my purpose. There's a, a wonderful promise here to Jacob. And whenever we look at our, our uh, verse uh, 14, he says, Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad. Notice, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. Then notice this, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. And so he being God is at the top of the ladder. And as he descends, we looked, actually I mentioned some of this offhand on Sunday, he descends and becomes flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus, as we know. But here, he says to Isaac, and the wonderful thing is, is he says that, uh, he says in verse 13, the God of thy father Isaac, the land run thy liest, to thee will I give unto thy seed. The wonderful thing is, he didn't say the, uh, the land where you're on, or the land where you walk, or the land where you're camped out. He becomes so personal, he sees Jacob lying down on his side. He even recognizes his position. He recognizes the bodily position, the land on where you're lying right now. And so what happens is Jacob sets up the stone, he anoints it with oil, and he calls it Bethel. Beth is house El for God, so it's the house of God. And then whenever he says that in thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, in other words, so numerous, uncountable. And then he says it'll go to the west, to the east, to the north to the south. Now take those four points, if you want, of the compass to the west first, and then to the east, to the north, and then to the south. Turn with me to Genesis 48. Genesis 48. Try and make a, a note of these and a mental note for where I'm going to bring you. Genesis 48. And now by the time we come here, It's coming close to the end of Jacob's life. Jacob is called Israel now. He wrestles with the angel of the Lord all night. And let's look at uh, 48 and let's go down to verse 14. I'll tell you what, because there's an important part before that. Let's go to verse 5. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, this is Joseph's sons, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. And Reuben and Simeon, they, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. In other words, Joseph has been sold by his brothers. You know the story. He goes into 
Potiphar's house, his wife cries rape, he's put into prison, then he's elevated out of prison through his dreams and interpretations, and he's elevated up to be next, as it were, as a prime minister of Egypt. Saves Egypt by interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, and so there's corn in Egypt, and his brothers who sold him now come down to get corn, don't recognize him. Then when his younger brother Benjamin comes down on his father, he shows himself onto all his brethren. Now I notice this. Whenever that happens, now we're near the end of the era when Jacob is dying. And he's getting old and he's frail here. And he says, your sons, Joseph, who were born in Egypt, one called Ephraim and one called Manasseh, they're as mine. So they're Israel. That's what he's saying. They're as mine. Just as Reuben, who is his firstborn with Leah, Reuben is mine and Simeon. He says, as, them two, as those two sons are mine, so your two sons, although they're my grandsons, they're mine, they're in the inheritance. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now just let it run down. And it says in verse 8, And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see, and he brought them near unto him. And he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not sought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought, uh, brought them out from between his knees and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, notice, in his right hand toward Israel's left, that is Jacob's left, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel, notice this, which redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads and let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow, notice, into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim. It displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations or a commonwealth of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, And thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given unto thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Now, before we go into, well, not really going much to verse or chapter 49. So just let me tell you what happens. Here comes Joseph with the, in Joseph's left hand, uh, he brings the younger son who is 
Ephraim. He brings in his right hand towards his father, his eldest son, Manasseh. Manasseh should have received the first birth, right, blessing, and then Ephraim also a blessing. But being uh, from where Israel Jacob was sitting, he actually stretches his hands and crosses, making a multiplication sign, and puts his right hand on Ephraim's head, and puts his, uh, puts his right hand on Ephraim's head, and his left hand on Manasseh's head. And he makes that multiplication sign, the sign of a cross, on the boys. And Joseph's saying, no, he's the younger and he's the elder, and he wants to take it off. And Jacob Israel says, I know what I'm doing, son. And he blesses the boys. He says, Ephraim, Ephraim means, by the way, fruitful. He says, he will be a multitude in the earth, and he will be a, a, a multitude of nations or a commonwealth. And here with the left, he says, but Manasseh, the eldest, he also will be a great nation. He will be a great people. So this is very important because when Israel camp starts as they leave Egypt when Jacob dies and when Joseph dies, as they leave Egypt under Moses and build up the tabernacle, they start to form a cross around the very tabernacle and they're all in their pattern according to the north, south, east and west. And Christ is right in the middle of it. Stay with me, okay? When you go into chapter 49... You'll read this. We'll just read a verse or two because it'll be too long. Verse 3 says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Now, notice this. Doesn't that sound good? Unstable as water, and thou shalt not excel, because I went to stop into thy father's bed, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. Reuben went to uh, Bilhah. Bilhah was Leah, uh, Leah's handmaid, if you remember. Leah's handmaid uh, was given unto Jacob to have children because none of them could have children. So Bilhah had, uh, had children as well, or pardon me, later Bilhah was given after Leah had children, and Bilhah had children as well. So really, Reuben, his firstborn, goes up and into Bilhah and takes her into his tent and uncovers his father's nakedness, as it's called. And so now his father says, you've committed a great sin. You won't excel. You won't excel. In fact, there's nearly an error here that he would be extinct but there's a wonderful sense of God's grace here. Two things I want to show you here. First of all, go with me. Deuteronomy, please. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy. And chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Now notice this. Moses is dying here. They're in the wilderness. They're passing through. They're about to go into the promised land, but Moses isn't allowed. Remember the story. And then Moses gives the blessing for all the tribes. Now, notice this. Verse 4. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. This is his 12 sons who now have 12 tribes, okay? 
And he was king in Jeshurun. The word Jeshurun means upright. It's another word for Israel, by the way. So when you read that, it's just another word, term for Israel. And he was king in Jeshurun when the heads of the people and the tribes of Israel were gathered together. Now notice the eldest son, Reuben, again. Remember, let Reuben, uh, what what does he say? Thou art my firstborn, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Now notice what Moses declares. And this is the man of the law, by the way. This is the man of the codified law, I should say. Notice what he says here in verse 6. Let Reuben live and not die, and not his men be few. In other words, God gave grace, even though he had a big fall. God gave grace to Reuben. I remember one time I made that point, the exact point I made to yourselves there now. And I pastored in Dublin. And as a young man, about, and as, I suppose he was early, late, early 20s, maybe, late teens, early 20s, sitting in front of him, and he started crying in the church. And he was just weeping. When I asked him what happened, he says, you're not going to believe it, but you've just read that about that man. I says, who? He says, who did you say his name was? I says, Reuben. He says, yes. Let him live and not die. I says, I did. That's what the Bible says. This is what he said. He was crying. He says, I jumped in the Luffy today. And I was going under and somebody grabbed me and put me out. And I'm walking down here, he says. And they dried me up. And I'm walking down here tonight. He says, and I'm wondering, what's all this about? And all I can hear is I want you to live and not die. He cried his eyes out. He gets saved. The grace of God goes beyond our understanding, brothers and sisters. It goes way past our own finding out. Now, you notice this. There is the wonderful grace of God, even in the Old Testament. There's grace all through the Old Testament, by the way. People think it's only the new. But notice this. So, whenever Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons, It's recorded in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Faith's hall of fame as it's known. Hebrews chapter 11, and let your eye just run right down to verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. Notice, and worshipped leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Jacob blessed both the sons of Jacob, that is Ephraim, or Joseph, sorry, Ephraim and Manasseh, and worship, leaning upon the top of his staff. Let me pause here for a minute to tell you what that means. Literally, he could have been on a staff. Some said it was the end of a bedpost. But really it wasn't. It was the end of a staff. But it gives the idea of faith, by faith. He did it. The blessing was in faith. And what would have happened is then, as a diary, where you'd open your diary and say, if you keep a diary today, I was X, Y, Z, and this is what happened, and so on. And you can read through it later on and go, oh, I forgot about that, and I remember that. And my, my father was, he could have told you when I phoned him when I was on holidays, he wrote everything down. I'm the opposite, I don't do any of it. And, and, and 
here, here, is the, here is the diary, and you can read back and you can tell times and dates and things that happened, and whether they're happy or sad or good or bad or whatever. And what happened was when they carried their staff, they, had a, uh, they, they carried it throughout their life, especially as a shepherd or maybe looking after some sort of herd or walking as a, a walking aid. And when something special happened in their life, something remarkable, they put a certain notch in it. So you think of Jacob whenever he's, as we've already read, lying on the ground and the Lord says, I am the Lord God of thy father. There's a, a big ladder come a stairway ladder from heaven to earth and the angels on it. What sort of a, a notch would that have been in the staff? Think of whenever he went and he worked for Laban for seven years and then he went in and he had his wife who he thought was Rachel, but it was Leah. And he went, I have to go out and work another seven years to get the hold of the one I wanted. Think of the notch that was on it then. Or think whenever he tricked Laban uh, with all his cattle and the nuts that would have went on. Or what about whenever the time that he, he was uh, afraid of Esau and the Lord changed Esau's heart. He must have been glad for his life, you know, and he puts a notch on it. Or what about when he wrestled that night with the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord says, you'll be no longer called Jacob or surplanter, twister, heel grabber, it means, but you're going to be Israel, a prince or ruling with God. And what a, a notch that would have been on. This thing, now old, would have been full of notches. Here's the idea. This man is dying. This man is facing death. And he sees these two boys coming in. And he gets out of his bed and he leans on the staff. And while leaning on it, he looks at the notches. I remember you there, Lord, and you saved me there and you helped me there. You came through for me there and you blessed me there and I thought I was a goner but you rescued me. And I thought there was no hope here and there and he goes up and down the staff like his diary and he looks at it and he goes, boy, what a mighty God I serve. Lord, the faith is building up and by faith he crosses his hands and he blesses the boys. You're going to be fruitful, a multitude and a commonwealth in the earth and you're going to be a great nation. That's what it means. Let's keep a mental staff of the blessings that God has bestowed upon us in past times in order that we can recall that to boost our faith for the things he'll do in the future. For what he'll do in the future. So these, remember west, east, north and south, remember? So let's look at it. Go with me to Numbers chapter 2, please. Numbers chapter 2. I'll only pick a verse or two out just again for time's sake. Numbers chapter 2. And let your run down, your eye run down. I'll tell you what, let's just skip across these so you can, you can read it all when you go home. Verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard. The idea was, it's like a banner. Like a banneret with a picture on it, a standard. You know, you'd see uh, in the parades, the orange standards, or, or t- uh, the, what do you call them, trade union banners, the banners of standards. That's what they were. So all the tribes had their own picture and standard, okay, for marching with. And he says, they, they will pitch with his own standard, with their ensign of their father's house, for off their tabernacle, for about the, off, Far off about the tabernacle of the congregation shall they pitch. 
And on the east side, toward the rising of the sun, shall the standard of the camp of Judah, Judah's to the east, okay? Camp of Judah pitched throughout their armies. Now, let's just run down for time's sake, and you can read read on down in a minute. And verse 5, And those that do pitch next unto him shall be the tribe of Issachar. And then let's go on down again, verse 7, Then the tribe of Zebulun. So here's three tribes to the east. And instead of me saying this every time, there's three tribes go to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Okay? Now let's go on down a little again. And on the south, first hand, and on the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben. Remember the firstborn? Of Reuben, according to their armies. And then let's just run on down again. Simeon is with him in verse 12. And then God is with him in verse 14, the tribe of God. And then if you let your eye run on down again, then the tabernacle of the congregation set forward with the camp of the Levites. In the midst, the Levites were the priestly tribe. They're all through it. Of the camp, and then on verse 18, and on the west shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim. Notice that. So here's Ephraim now is coming into play. Here's this name of this grandson who's now as a son according to their armies. And with him will be, verse 20, shall be the tribe of Manasseh. That's his brother. And then in verse 22, the tribe of Benjamin is with him on the west side also. Okay? Then go down to verse 25. The standard of the camp of Dan shall be on the north side. And then if you go down with him is Asher in verse 27. And Naphtali, verse 29. So this is the way it goes. There's one main, there's 12 tribes. Three, 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 and three. One leading out of every three. One leading name out of every three tribes on every side, okay? So to the north, you, you had Dan. To the south, the leading tribe then was Reuben. To the east, the leading tribe was Judah. And to the west, the leading tribe was Ephraim. This is important. When you look down at the tabernacle rectangular, if you can imagine it, and there's three tribes on every side, from an aerial point of view, it makes the sign of a cross. Now, what has the tribal areas got to do with it? They held up their standards because their standards all meant something. Okay? Let me tell you what their standards were, and then you'll get a better picture. To the north, the main tribal standard of Dan was an eagle. Sometimes they had a a snake or a serpent, but the main one was an eagle. To the south, Reuben is pictured on their banner or their standard as a man, the head or body of a man. To the, to the east, we have Judah, which is a, a lion, a lion of the tribe of Judah. And to the west, we have Ephraim, which was an ox, sometimes a unicorn. But an ox was the main bannerhead for them. Okay? So there was a, an eagle to the north, man to the south, to the east, 
there was the tribe of Judah, and to the west, we had uh, Judah with the lion, and to the west, we had Ephraim with an ox. And what does that tell us? First of all, it tells us this. Reuben, who defiled his father's bed, was to the south. He's a man. South, he was downward. Shows the depravity of our own nature. Shows our inability to reach where? To go to the northern camp. The northern camp with uh, the eagle of Dan at the top, the eagle is a symbol of deity. Are you with me? Okay. So then, to the east, we have the lion of Judah, the Lord Jesus, that's his tribe, and uh, speaks of kingship. And to the west, we have the ox. The ox speaks of servanthood. Servanthood. Working. Every one of those also speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them. First of all, if you were to go to the four Gospels in Matthew, Matthew, through his Gospel, presents our Lord Jesus as the King. Behold, the King cometh. He presents him as the King, the Lion. Okay? If you were to go down to Mark, Mark presents the Lord Jesus as an ox, as the servant of all. In other words, when Jesus is baptized at 30 years of age, he just explodes onto the scene. And as he explodes onto the scene, there he is, and he starts healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out devils. He's working, he's serving, and he's laboring before his father. He's the ox. And then, if you were to go to Luke's gospel, Luke has him as a man. See, Luke's a doctor. So he's looking at the physical attribute of of him as well. So he has him as a man. You know, Christ took not on him the form, uh, uh, form of angels, but of the seed of Abraham. In other words, he became fully man for you and me. So he would be touched with the feeling of our infirmities as our great high priest. He knows everything we feel. And also he was tempted in all points uh, as we are yet without sin. But here he's a man, a very man. So also then, in John's gospel, he's represented as deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here is the eagle represented as deity. What you have to remember is, if go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32... Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now, I'll just read a few verses here because there's a whole sermon on this one itself. Deuteronomy 32. i just let your eye run down to verse uh, 11. Listen to what the Lord says to his people. This is the ancient Israel. This is, the, this is what he says. As an eagle stirreth up her nest... And fluttereth over her wings, and spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them and beareth them on their wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. And he made him to ride in high places of the earth, that he might eat of the increase of the fields, and he made him to suck honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, and butter out of the kine, and milk of the sheep with the fat of lambs, and rams of the breed of of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat 
and thou didst drink the pure blood of grape. Now there's the word again, and Jasharon waxed fat. Israel, that is. Those who are meant to be upright started to wax fat. You see, there's no real debt in God's economy. Sure there's none. God wants us to be flourishing in his presence. And God says, when you are my children, because you're my children, then you are my image and expression on the earth. I want you to show it forth. You see, whenever you look then at this, well, not going, that's a, a wonderful chapter. Read that when you go home. It's a wonderful chapter to read about God being the rock. But what God's saying is, I'm like an eagle whose carriage is. So the eagle is deity. The eagle speaks of God, and that was the tribe of Dan, and Christ is obviously God Almighty. Okay, let's go to the book of Ezekiel, please. Book of Ezekiel. And the first chapter of Ezekiel, we'll just flick across a couple of these chapters. For there's a wonderful... I mean, there's so many things you could have done, but staying on this one, four imprints of these animal-like tendencies. I want to stay around that. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4, he says, And I beheld, I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, and a great cloud, and a fire unfolding itself. And the brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof was the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. And also... Out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. Now, take note here. Four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Now, creatures having the appearance of the likeness of a man. There's so many mysteries in God. How do we work that out? Did they have a man's face or what way did it go? We're not sure. Now, notice this. And, and everyone had four faces. I know some people they got to you. <laughs> and everyone had four faces. And everyone had four wings. Now let your eye just run down for time sheet to first eight. And they had hands of a man under their wings, and on their four sides they had and they had four had four faces on their wings. Their wings were joined one to another, and they turned not and they went. Everyone straight forward. Now notice, as for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man. Notice, the face of a lion on the right side. They four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four had the face of an eagle. Do you notice something there? The exact same pattern as the Israel camp and the exact same pattern of the four leading banners, north, south, east, and west. Now, what did the Lord say to Jacob? Your seed's going to spread, but they haven't. They're contained here. It's years later at the scattering of them, they spread. But here, we're still in the, the Holy Land, as it were. And God is putting an imprint. God is putting his image. He's showing himself among them. And so he's shown this pattern. Here, it's all in Christ. The four Gospels are in their four faces. Can you see that? The lion, the man, the land of the West, 
the man to the south, the eagle, deity to the north, and the servant, the ox, to the west. Now notice, again, as we read this, go with me to chapter 9, Ezekiel chapter 9. And again, let your eye run down to verse 9. Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness, for they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, the Lord hath not seen. Now notice the two houses now are mentioned. We're years ahead here of ourselves from the camp in Israel. They're now in the Holy Land. They've now got two lines of kings. They've now got split into two kingdoms, the house of Israel in the north and the house of Judah to the south. And the Lord has already sent the Assyrian in to scatter the house of Israel to the north and they never return. And I've, I've told you the story before. And they come over to the west first. What way was it? To the west. They go west. They populate the west. I notice this. They intermingle. They become like heathen, Gentiles. And the Lord says, they said that I don't see. Now the house of Judah have went the same way as the house of Israel. And the house of Judah says, they say, I don't see. But I see. So then Babylonian army comes in, Nebuchadnezzar, and takes them away to the east. (laughs) Takes them away to the east. And that's where you read of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, notice this. This is, this is important. Chapter 10, verse 13. Tell you, I'll go 14. And everyone had a season or a vision again, and everyone had four faces. And the first face was as a face of a cherub. Notice the difference here now. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face was the face of a man. The third face was the face of a lion. And the fourth face was the face of an eagle. I wonder why the first face is as a cherub. We've also got a man, a lion, and an eagle. There's no lion here. Now let me try and... I have read, I don't know how many commentaries on this. I've looked up Hebrew. I've looked up Aramaic. I've looked up everything to see what I can find. And nobody really can tell me a lot. I'm just being honest. So here, it's not fundamental. It's not me being dogmatic. So here's my own 10 cents worth, as we say. Okay? So stay with me. You happen to notice that when Ezekiel sees this vision now in chapter 10... Ezekiel's actually back at Jerusalem in uh, the, the land where, his, where they'd been carried out. And it's actually, he's brought in, as it were, uh, in, the, in spirit to the temple. That's what, you know, he's through in the temple. In fact, the Lord brings him in the spirit through a hole in the wall. And you see the corruption going on. But here he's brought in the spirit in the temple. If you, if you were to, to read on through this, you'll find it. He always refers back to the first four faces that he saw at the river Chebar, which is in Babylon. And now later he's seen it again, but there's a cherub and there's not a lion. So 
So here's my two cents, ten cents worth. I thought about this. I says, Lord, why is that? Well, is it one that because in the temple that Christ had not become flesh yet and the lion is the one who's to come the second time? The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed in the book of Revelation. Is it because God had not manifest himself in the flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus? So here, the face of a cherub gives the idea of, the, of an angel, uh, not a created being, but a manifestation of the Lord himself. I, I can't work it out. Because the actual word cherub here just simply means it's an angelic being. They've put this word cherub onto this. In fact, the word man for the other face, he says he sees a man, it means Adam or Adam, as in the Lord made Adam, man. It means ruddy. It means uh, red, gives the idea of redness, or one who can show blood on his face. And when do you show blood on your face? Either when you're full of exertion or embarrassed, isn't that right? And I wonder the embarrassment of Adam when God seen him in the garden after the fall. I'm sure there was a blush on his face. Or even the sweat and toil of his brow whenever the Lord had said, from here on in you're going to sweat in your work. I've always said, I think, in the kingdom age that whenever we enter there we'll not need deodorants or perfumes or anything because we'll not be sweaty anymore because that part of the curse will be out of the way. Think of me every Sunday with a sweat running out of me. It's dry cleaning bills horrendous sort of sometimes. So I just wonder sometimes, is it that the Lord is showing us something that he's saying, you know, I myself will come. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And I am the God of eternity, the eagle. And I am the one who will take on this form of Abraham, of the seed of David. And I am the one who will be the servant among all. But I'm not coming as a lion, I'm coming in grace. As an angelic cherub. Brothers and sisters, when he comes back again, he's coming back in power and great glory as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So I'll finish with this. I'll finish with this. When the Lord returns, we will be singing, as it were, serving around his throne. If you'll turn to Revelation chapter 4, do this for a final one of other scriptures there, but time is flowing. Revelation 4. And just let your eye run down at verse 6. And behold, the throne, before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast like a calf, an ox. 
The third beast had the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is. And there's the common. When those beasts give glory and honor, thanks unto him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. Even John sees this imprint of the gospel of Christ. So when the seed of Ephraim goes west, hence ourselves today, when the seed of Manasseh goes west, when the seed of uh, Judah goes into Babylon and comes back again, then Christ comes to them. And that's where we get the name Jew. And when we see that, we have to wonder then, has not God already started, or has he not already fulfilled the dust of the earth? And has he not now imprinted upon us who have received Christ in the gospel to be conformed to the image of his Son? Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. He knew where we were. He knew what we'd be like. He knew our waywardness. He knew our wanderings. He knew our sin. He knew how lost we were. We were lost sheep going over all the mountains, as it were, with no shepherd, and he sent his son. The son came for us. And he says, Jacob, you can pray in faith and believe my word and leave it up to me. Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped. He looked at his diary on that staff and worshipped while leaning upon the top of his staff. God bless his word to us. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen.